this is Vinnie Paul from it. Hell yeah! You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Come on now. Hi, this is Jason Bonham, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Jeff Pilsen, and you, my friend, are listening to Iron City Rocks, where it really, really rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 381 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 381 is all about the White Snake Foreigner and Jason Bottom Led Zeppelin Evening Show, which will be at Key Bank Pavilion on June 27th. Uh, that tour is going all over the country, so if you're in the sound of my voice, they're probably coming near you. We've got joining us uh, the aforementioned Jason Bonham. And also from Foreigner, we have Tom Gimble and Chris Frazier, a uh, drummer from the band, uh, joining us as well. So let's start with Jason Bonham. Jason uh, was kind enough to, to chat with us, not only about uh, the Led Zeppelin evening, we also discuss uh, Black Country Communion, who released their fourth album, and, and there's talks of a fifth album. Uh, we also talk about his work with uh, The Circle, uh, which is Sammy Hagar, Vic Johnson, Michael Anthony and uh, Jason on drums and uh, some new recordings he's doing with Sammy. We uh, talk about that just briefly. So we want to get into that interview uh, with Jason Baum. Pleasure to welcome to the show. We have Jason Bonham on the line. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing really, really well, thank you. How are you? 
Uh, fantastic. Um, you're going to be in town uh, in Pittsburgh on the 27th, I believe it is, doing uh, the Led Zeppelin evening uh, show for us, um, yeah. along with White Snake and Foreigner, and what should be a tremendous night of music. Um, I guess the first question, you know, in that slot, you don't have a tremendous amount of time. How do you whittle the Led Zeppelin catalog down and only pick that small of a handful of songs? How painful was that? I'd say that's the most painful part of the process. I mean, the tour is a wonderful opportunity um, to play to a lot more people, uh, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, but I have to say, I had my dad's from, we did this last year with Cheap Trick and Foreigner. Mm -hmm. And I was very, um, very English. So I'm like, you know what? No one's going to be there at seven o'clock. You know, it's too early for a rock and roll. I said, I really think it's a bad idea. I, um, I never imagined doing this show in this kind of format usually when I do the full on show it's with home movies a lot of storytelling mm -hmm. but I was proved I was proved wrong uh, day after day um, everyone was in their seats at 7 o'clock um, and it blew my mind I was obviously the well, well really the music is says everything for itself um, I was just really pleased that everyone came out to hear uh, you know my band play this music with 150% and the love that we have for it and they got it from the day one you know it's a it's a great fun project I always say this is what I do when I'm not working Yeah. because it's true I've got two other bands that I play with and then this is my fun band so I'm very 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 fortunate so you know but as you said the hardest the hardest thing is picking the songs for the 50 minutes that we have um, yeah, yeah I, I know as, as this tour started you know the, the different news websites and such had leaked you know here's Whitesnake's set listing you know and I, I think about it the band like Whitesnake you know with their catalog and I had to look you know how do you pick you know 50 minutes or however long it is they play and then I was like wow how does Jason go through that catalog you know where do you start where do you end you know you could you know do two songs conceivably and fill the entire time slot you know depending on how true yep. you are to the original um you know but it's it's got to be an arduous task um as, as we sit here oh. the you know the day after father's day um i've often wondered you know yeah. when, you, when your dad was with you you know he died when you were very young uh way too young yeah. i should say did you have an appreciation when he was still with you as to what he did or was he just dad at that point um Pretty much, Dad. Um, and it was uh, when you're so close to something. I've always, I've always said this to people: is um, you know, they go, "Oh my, you know, what was it like mm -hmm. growing up?" And your father was John Bonham. I said, "Well, what was it like growing up with your dad?" And, yeah. and you know, and it was like, "Well, that's totally different." I said, "No, it's not. When it's your dad, you know, I only ever saw three Led Zeppelin shows, so I really never mm -hmm. saw." You know, I kind of right. didn't kind of understand it as much as I should have done. Right. It was like, yeah, but I didn't know anything else, so it was okay. It was that's it. That's what my dad does, and that's normal. Um, it wasn't until I got older, and I think you get. I think it happens to everybody when you get older. You get wiser. And you, yeah. You, you suddenly reflect on on your life and what, especially when you turn fifty, and like I did a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And you start reflecting and 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 realizing now when 
you know, I'm as a, I'm still called Bonzo's kid, but I'm 52. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, you know I'm the oldest kid in the block. Um, it's it is one of those things. Uh, obviously, for me now, this the show which I started purely. I didn't think I'd ever do more than you know a couple of tours. Mm-hmm. Um, to, uh, to of the you know the tribute to the Led Zeppelin, my father. So now we are what eight years in, um, and it never was meant to do more than twenty to thirty shows a year anyway. Right. So it, it wasn't until last year, and and the foreigner cheap trick guys asked me to do forty shows and um, over the eight weeks. But last year we we ended up doing sixty shows uh, in the whole year um, because I still did the twenty headline shows that I could normally do. Right. And this year again we're gonna we've just come back from Australia and New Zealand where we it's the first time we'd ever taken it outside of North America. So and that was all amazing sold out shows uh, and it's very heartwarming, very humbling. Um, as I say, what we do, we, we just really enjoy playing these songs. Yeah. So um, it is. But Dad, you know, the appreciation for Dad. What I did yesterday on Father's Day, I was actually recording a song uh, for Sammy Hager, which is a, another band I play with called mm. The Circle. Circle. And uh, we'd finished, first of the album's finished, but there was one more song that Sammy had come up with. And it came about from him jamming with my dad. In uh, they basically looped levy breaks and Sammy was jamming along with it, um, slightly speeded up and mm. you know changed a little bit. But he goes, man, I had this great time with your dad. So yesterday I went and recorded it and uh, was playing along with dad on Father's Day, uh, which we didn't get to do much uh, when he was alive. Yeah. So that was kind of a weird, weird thing on Father's Day, and that's at the end of the day. We actually used the version where it was just me, um, so it was uh, it was kind of a, a really a good reflection and kind of time to you know carry on. He's uh, he uh, I think uh, Sammy said he taught you well. It's your turn to shine. You know that yeah. was very nice of him. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to spend the day. Um, is it ever I guess kind of blown you away how many of, of some of, of your father's peers and you know the Led Zeppelin peers, the the Paul Rogers, the Sammy Hagar's, um, Mick Jones, how those folks have kind of welcomed you in, you know, you know you've been in some fantastic lineups of fantastic bands really, you know, since the eighties. Is that ever yeah kind of surprised you how how that worked? Um, well, I, I I think I work well with people. Of my dad's kind of age bracket, or, mm-hmm. or you know, when there's older people in the band, I really look at the leaders of those bands as father figures. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that's naturally happened to me from when I was from losing my dad at fourteen. Um, always seemed to do well. Like when I was in Foreigner, Mick, you know, I wanted a strong relationship with Mick, yeah. and I still have one now. You know, he calls me his his naughty nephew. <laughs> um, um, but you know, and, and Sammy, he treats me like uh, he says, you know, you're like a, a son I never had, but you, 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 you're like a, you know another son to him. Um, he said it's weird. I, I, he just he goes, oh, but he's really really nice. He said I just I and he he 
text me and give me advice about stuff and and, he's, and you know all the stuff a dad would send you he sends yeah. me his information all the time and he goes please don't do anything financial without checking with me first don't yeah. do anything so and I, I'm the same with my old manager and you know same with Paul Paul is very very the same way too they all kind of uh, they took me under their wings and let me you know and i you know, I've loved playing. I love playing all that music. It fits my style of drumming. Yeah. So I think, you know, that helps. Um, you know, I'm not from the modern day rock period. I play old school. Mm. Um, and it's feel and, and you know, and, and, and all about that, which took me years really to understand. I wanted, you know, as any teenager would, you want the chops. I, you know, I didn't, didn't even probably... The, the word feel never came into my vocabulary right. or the pocket I wouldn't have known what a di- I thought a deep pocket was we've got lots of money yeah um, you know uh, and Sammy will do that to me it's great on stage he'll come up to me and and he'll he'll, he'll just look, him, he'll look at me and he'll put his hand in his pocket and he'll just shake his head like good pocket Chase good pocket <laughs> excellent um so I know you have this this run of dates with uh, Foreigner and, and White Snickers until early August, if I'm not mistaken. Do you have yeah. plans for the remainder of the year? I saw you had a couple of shows with a circle for Sammy's uh, Sammy's birthday. I'm assuming that is in October. Yeah. Do you have other plans for the year, or is it still kind of a, a whiteboard work in progress? Um, there's I mean, there's still work in progress. There's quite a few uh, different things. Um, I believe I'm um, there's a band called Humphreys and McGee um, uh, like a jam band mm-hmm. which yeah. I'm going to do I'm going to do a festival with uh, I'm getting up and um, jamming with them uh, with on the bill I think there's um, Dead and Co and um, a few others uh, so and that, and that was interesting because I wasn't aware of, of the band so sure. I I, um, I brought I, somebody said I oh, looked them up because they they like to jam and and, and everything. So I'm going to do I'm going to get up and jam with them in the end of August. At a, a, I'm just looking at my schedule now in a festival which is called. Um, where are we? As I look through here, it is. Oh yeah, it is the Lockin Festival, okay. um, which is in uh, yeah in uh, in Arrington, uh, Virginia. Okay, so that's, so that's going to be a lot of fun, and then uh, we've got a possibility of going to Mexico City um, with this. Um, there's, I'm, I've got to try and uh, go over to England at some point. I want to go and see the monument that they built for my father. Sure. Um, and then there's yeah, there's some circle dates. Um, I got some family coming into town, and then yeah, we we are going back out. Um, to do a full-on uh, headline tour, which starts roughly around about um, November seventh, which okay. will work our way through um, till December eleventh. Okay, mm-hmm. got it. Got a, quite a busy. So we're year. keeping busy. Do you? Um... Yeah, I never. I never. Sorry, I never would have imagined. Uh, I think the last two years have been mm. my busiest years of ever in my entire drumming career so um, when you're playing in a few different bands I suppose it, my, yeah I've got more than one project so it's uh, all the downtime is then is for another band uptime 
So, yeah. uh, so that, that seems to be one of the biggest troubles with a lot of you know musicians who manage to work full time is that you know you've got three bands and you've got to try to line up the stars to get everybody in the same place. I know his fans of you know bands like yeah. Chicken Foot or or um, your, your band Black Country Communion. Black Country um, Communion, you, you, yeah. You've got to try to you know find a week when everybody's not doing something and try to cut an album in that week. Um, have, yeah. I know you guys put out a fantastic record, uh, the Black Country Communion record, the end of last year, and everyone's schedules didn't quite line up to do too many live shows. But do you, do you guys talk about doing shows? Uh, I know in speaking with Glenn, he was um, itching to do. Um, I, I, I believe we're going to go back in the studio again in January. Okay. Um, that's what I heard. So, um, so possibly, um, and then we can focus more on uh, on touring next year. Uh, they definitely like to plan way ahead yeah um, it, at the um, time but um that was uh, from what i heard that was uh, they were looking at my schedule and i know i'm i'm playing in cabo at a you at a, an event in like new year's eve okay. so i'm going to be on the west coast so um we probably get the same studio we recorded uh, before in but yeah, I mean, I love I love the creative process with playing in. You know, people say to me, "Oh, why don't you do originals?" And I'm like, "Well, I do in my other bands." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, this this was never meant. <laughs> that you know, doesn't the name tell you kind of what I'm doing in this yeah, project? Yeah, you wouldn't expect so, you to. You know, do it's it. like uh, yeah, they were they were going uh, But people said, "Oh, what we mean is like with the band you have." wouldn't you would like to do an album of originals with these musicians you play with and I kind of went you know what yeah we could that would be you know um, I always thought it would be a concept way to do it is that you write the music while you're on the road right. playing Led Zeppelin songs and so then, there's bound to be influenced there so uh, but it'd be interesting in trying to do it but I think it'd be something I'd like to do Yeah, they're I, great I, they're very very talented yeah, I know that worked out well. A Black Star Rider, which you know morphed out of Thin Lizzy, did a fantastic job of making music. You know that, you know, in that same mold. Uh, but yeah, it's not yeah. something you hear. You know, here the the idea might be kind of tricky not to to bleed too much Led Zeppelin into to original material. Um, you know, yeah. you want to put your own stamp on it. Um, but that yeah, that but then again, a, you know, there's, there's, you know, we we have got your own fleet now, so uh, I'm yeah. sure uh, they, they take they take all the the uh, the stick of being the next <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's a whole whole different uh you know you see a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, dialogue back and forth on is this a good thing a bad thing is this you know is this stealing the music yeah. I mean I mean I, I just took they take one of my guns, uh, somebody asked me about them and they've taken that and it's on every Google thing now is I said it could ruin them. Um, that matter of you know being called the next Led Zeppelin, I yeah. said to be honest with you, I, I, I don't, I don't hear, you know, Robert's voice from when he was in at his age and, and the early Zeppelin. Um, it's not if you listen to it, it's not the same. Um, sorry, mm-hmm. I went, uh, more like Black Crows if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, and that that is a, that's a heavy weight to, to label on any band. I remember yeah, thinking exactly. that. You know, when Guns N' Roses kind of first broke with that first album, I remember even as a teenager thinking, this is kind of like the the next coming of, of Led Zeppelin, you know, because in my era that was, you know, we were yeah. kind of looking for for our own band. But, I mean, unfortunately, they kind of burnt out way faster than Led Zeppelin did, um, you know, as yeah. far as 
far as material. And they were back. They were back and touring like you never would have imagined it yeah. was going to happen again. Yeah. And doing exceedingly well. It was amazing. Yeah, I'm sure that the that 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 blows a lot of minds. You know that, that the band could you know be as volatile as they seemed. You know and and uh, you know but I guess when you're making the kind of money they're making, you can get along with people. You know. Well, but, I uh, think you know as it said, time heals. Yeah. When you get to a certain point in your life and you you look in perspective and you go, listen, you know what? You know it's it, it's you know it is what it is. Uh, because the same thing, you know, the Black and Communion, I, when we went to go back in the studio, I said, are you sure you want to do this, Glenn? Mm-hmm. I said, you remember how it ended last? You know, I said, it was a very public Twitter end to the band. So um, when we got back involved, I was like, okay, as long as you know what you know what's going yeah. on from day one, yeah. it's better, you know. Yeah, I mean, as, as a fan of the band, I'm glad, you know, whatever turmoil you guys were able to kind of put aside and, and make a fantastic record, because, you know, you don't get, you know, there's not a lot of young bands making music of that quality. Um, you know, it's well, thank you very on much. The, on the fourth album, so um, so we'll look forward to some material, hopefully at some point from The Circle, and, and you guys got some shows, but we'll look forward to seeing you most when we get into town uh, on uh, Wednesday, uh, doing the Led Zeppelin yep. stuff, man. All right, Jason. Well, I thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I heard a big thank you to Jason Bonham. Uh, ironically, as, as uh, many of you remember, Jason did play drums for Foreigner. Uh, we also are joined now by the current drummer of Foreigner, Chris Frazier. Chris uh, has got a very long resume, spent a couple years with Whitesnake, did two albums with them, played with Any Money uh, for a period of time. Uh, has done a lot of work with Doug Aldridge, uh, who was a guitarist of Whitesnake, and uh, also, as we get into the interview, and he's kind enough to indulge some questions about his work with Steve Vai, uh, which I think you'll find very fascinating. He talks quite a bit about recording and working with Steve and how he met him and and uh, the like. So it's a very interesting interview, uh, I feel. So we're going to play just a little bit of his work with Steve Vai, uh, and then let's get into that interview with Foreigner's drummer, Chris Frazier. Right, ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome the Iron City Rocks from the band Foreigner. We have Chris Frazier on the line. How you doing, Chris? Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, you guys are coming in uh, a little over a week now on the 27th of June to do a show with Whitesnake and uh, Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin Evening. Uh, going to be really a phenomenal night of 70s, 80s music uh, for all yep. the fans. Um, it was very interesting to get a chance to talk to you because you, you kind of a man I know with interviews maybe a little bit quieter in the band, but I know you've got a lot of really cool background working with the likes of Eddie Money and Steve Vai and, and things like that, so I appreciate you taking the time. And Whitesnake. Yeah, and Whitesnake. <laughs> I was looking at this lineup. It's kind of an incestuous sort of thing. You've got Jason who played for Foreigner, you who played with Whitesnake. Yep. Um, it's yeah. like touring with your ex-girlfriends. Is this... Oh, uh, we all know each other entirely too well. It's very, yeah, it's very incestuous, as you say. 
it works out well. Um, somebody... Yeah, I played with Whitesnake from 2007 to 2010 and did two records and two world tours, and we're all still great friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of like old home week out there, you know, like sure. summer camp, you know, all the same kids from summer camp last year are there. Yeah, I was looking at uh, that. Michael Dave. Devin, who is the who's the bassist for Whitesnake, was playing bass for Jason Bonham Led Zeppelin evening okay. last year, and so <laughs> so this is the second second summer in a row we've had him out on the road with us. Yeah, and um, like you said, I played with with the guys. I played with Whitesnake for a bit, and mm-hmm. Jason with Foreigner. Um, Works out well if somebody's sick, you know, one of you could fill in. You know, just if you, if you yeah. learn the, learn the <laughs> well, he's the drummers, yeah, if yeah, I, exactly. I, sick, I know some someone is going to yeah. be able to take over for me, and vice versa. I wanted to ask you the um, the, the CD that and DVD that you guys just released with the symphony. Um, was yeah. that kind of a new experience for you playing in that large of an ensemble? And, and what is that like specifically for a drummer? to have you know you're usually the guy with the backdrop right behind you but now you've got mm-hmm. you know a choir over your head and a symphony behind you can you touch on that experience well we we've, we've done it a few times um i have never done i have never done a um, a recording or um a rock show with a symphony prior mm-hmm. to this so this is, was kind of a new experience last year um but i did play in symphonic music and i mm-hmm. was like in uh, orchestral band and and I played in a symphony back in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Okay. Um, so the the process wasn't wasn't new to me, but um, when we did the recording, the one you're speaking about, um, we had tried to leave the drums open air in the um, in the symphony hall that we were going to record in, and they were just a little bit too powerful for the symphony, so we had to put me in like this. You're in the man in the box. Um, yeah, I was the man in the box exactly. I was in this uh, um, um, plastic cage, if you will, mm-hmm. and uh, they put like this foam roof over it, and um, it was uh, it was it was weird. I mean, we had to light me up. They had to put lights in there so that everybody could see me, and and then it, w- it was a little bit difficult to be able to communicate visually with uh, the conductor sure. but eventually we sort of figured out a system and we were able to we were able to do it you know I've got to ask did that get really um, hot inside there well I had a fan okay <laughs> but it did get hot yeah um, and you're supposed to dress really nice when you play in a symphony so right. I was kind of wearing you know a nice shirt you know right. and, a, and a vest and all kinds of stuff you know because you want to look nice in there Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little bit uncomfortable, but yeah, I, I, I recall that. And watching that, you know, the you know the lighting. I, I, I'm assuming when you do a show like that, you 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 know, for DVD that you're lighting it more than maybe you would a traditional show, um, you know, which generates heat. Um, and then yes, you know, then it you does. Put, put plexiglass all around you, or whatever that you know box was made out of. That had to get kind That's of insulated. What it is? It's plexiglass. You're absolutely you right. Know, you're you're gonna be dying in there. It'd be kind of funny. And not only that, but I mean, when you put the roof on it, mm-hmm. um, there was like a foam roof above me. Yeah. Once you put that in there, it really kind of contains the um, the heat. Mm-hmm. So we had to have a couple fans going. And funny thing about fans is that if you don't place them correctly, 
they can blow right on microphones and the microphones yeah. pick up the fan and so it's precarious you know you got to like do a bunch of moving around and make sure that everything's working and sure we, but we i think at this point we figured it out yeah now when we do the live stuff uh, out on the road um we use a smaller orchestra and mm -hmm. uh we put mics on them and um and then I'm kind of separated from them with some plexiglass, but that's just because they're behind me. So they'll put like a piece of plexiglass behind me to mm -hmm. separate me from from uh, from the uh, orchestra. But other than that, I play open, yeah, um, yeah. and that's like for the live touring stuff. We've sure. done a bunch of those too, and those are those are a lot of fun. Yeah, I was thinking that would be kind of a spinal tap moment without those fans. If you were playing and that plexiglass started to steam up. You know, from the heat, Chris, yeah. Chris disappears halfway through oh, the song. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, uh, that's, that would that would be a comedic moment, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would. Um, just, I believe, yesterday, if, if I'm not mistaken, Mick announced a, a full-on reunion show at Sturges with the entire Foreigner, you know, kind of the original lineup plus you guys. Um, yeah. Was that? I mean, does do you guys know about that in advance, or do you do you guys know if you'll rehearse as a you know a however many piece well, band that would be? We didn't know that that particular show that's coming mm -hmm. up. Um, we knew we were doing Sturgis, but recently we found out that mm -hmm. it was going to be the reunion. But we've done reunion shows. Sure. Last year, it was last fall, we did a reunion show, and the entire band came out. So, um, and we, so we kind of know how to do this already. Um, the the new the newer guys start the show we play like four or five songs mm -hmm. and then we basically just relinquish the stage to the old the older band right and um and then they come out and play five songs and then we do kind of like a big you know new band old band extravaganza sure. at the end where we play a couple songs and we're all on stage right um and we did that last year we did a couple of shows and recorded it and it was great you know, Lou came out and sang his ass off, and Dennis is, um, you know, still pounding like, mm -hmm. you know, like he's been playing drums this entire time. You know, it's like a young guy, and you know, has a lot of energy. And um, the rest of the guys, Al and Ian and and Greg, uh, and I'm not Greg, I'm sorry, Rick, um, are all still playing great, and they're all a lot of fun to be around. And so, it doesn't. You know, it, it, we don't skip a step at all. It's like we all have been doing this for a while and mm -hmm. all hang out and laugh and stuff. You know, it's a yeah. good hang. I had, had talked to Bruce. Uh, uh, you guys were in Pittsburgh or Greensburg back in March and, and, and had a discussion with Bruce about how the band seems to continue to gain momentum almost. I mean, obviously, Porner was, you know, super intensity all over the radio in, in the 70s, but then, you know, kind of quieted down and it seems like year after year you guys seem to build momentum and fan base is that kind of your perception and you know is that still kind of amaze you um well i think that all the songs that came out in the 70s and the 80s that were that they're all those legacy um songs that are in the the, the library um they were always pretty popular mm -hmm. until probably the 90s when everything kind of switched gears into like yeah. the grunge stuff you know and maybe it lost popularity for maybe a decade um but you know with um with all these like rock stations that are 
going back to classic rock format and mm-hmm. um, and the internet stations and Pandora and things like that. You know, um, it's those songs again. Everybody's noticing how how wonderful they are. You know, right. it's a great catalog. And um, and now that we've got a front man that's as that tirelessly just every night goes out there and gives a hundred percent and just sings great, sings all the songs great every night and has like a great attitude and he's a great front man. That also is something, you know, that I think that over the years people have seen the band and seen the energy and, you know, it's know that it's a legit, you know, rock act. It's a, it's, it puts on a great show. I think that that has spread, the word has spread and little by little the, the band has gained that popularity back again. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with Kelly, you know, just being a rock star and being a great performer and having a very strong work ethic. And I think we've also had, you know, with our management team, they've, they've had a great, you know, game plan for mm-hmm. repopularizing the brand. Yeah. And that's, that's and, you uh, can't understate that point. Worked. I mean, that does, you know, because, I mean, there are certainly bands, you know, that try to do what you guys are doing and maybe don't reach that level of success again. You know, I mean, you could be playing, you know, 1,100-seat arenas and kind of peaking there, but, I mean, you're, you're taking this to 20,000-seat sheds. Um, that's no small task. Um, well, know. it also helps that we have bands like Whitesnake and, uh, sure. and Jason Bonham led Zeppelin evening as well, you know, because they're also a draw, and, you know, the the Whitesnake guys put on a hell of a show, you know, they they really uh, set the bar pretty high for us, mm-hmm. put it that way. We got to go out there and kick ass after them. Exactly. And same with Jason. Jason's, a, you know, I mean, I'm the drummer and foreigner. I'm having to like follow Tommy Aldridge and yeah. Jason Bonham, you know. So I better bring my A game every night. Yeah. And I think everybody else in the band feels that way too. But it does help having those guys because they're also a draw. I'm sure that they're helping mm-hmm. fill the seats. Sure. You know. Yeah. Um, it's it's. We're a, really psyched about this tour this summer because I think that. It's a really a really strong lineup, and I think that it's going to be a very popular um, concert to go to. Yeah, yeah, it um, certainly is. Uh, one of the questions I had for you, uh, I caught your set in, I think it was 2013 was the first time I'd seen you play with uh, mm-hmm. Foreigner, and you'd done a drum solo, and you poured some water on your drums. Um, yeah. Is there a trick to not ruining your drums with that? I mean, is it... I well... Mean, <laughs> I've been doing it for a long time now, mm. um, and there's there's a certain amount of water that I use that I just feel like is the the right amount right. where it doesn't it doesn't compromise the heads too much, mm-hmm. and um, and it doesn't um, soak the the microphones because we were yeah. for a while there I was using a lot of water, right, and it was just it was just going everywhere and. Um, and it was going up inside the microphones, and so we kept blowing up mics. And yeah. I kept having to send the microphones in <laughs> to Audix and going, "Yeah, we broke another mic. And they're like, yeah. how are you going through so many mics? And I was like, uh, it's hard to weather? Say. Yeah, that's yeah. It. It's very humid where we're touring <laughs> this know, summer. Eventually I had to fess up and tell them that I was doing this thing, and they, they were like, uh-huh. Mm, yeah. You're ruining them on purpose. But... Exactly. Um, 
but anyways, I use a certain amount of water, and um, and you have to hit the drums really hard to get them to f- just fly off the drums and fly, right. fly as high up in the air as possible. And um, but otherwise, I mean, I don't think it, it it kind of after a while makes the drum head sort of dull mm-hmm. sounding because you know when you first put the heads on, they sound great, and then right. pour water all over them and. And they get a little bit dull, but once they dry out, they kind of go back to normal again. Does it you know? get into the shells at but all? But there's a lot of other things you have to do, like the the, the cymbals get oxidized, and so you have right. to clean the cymbals a lot, and you have to wipe the water off of the uh, off the drum kit, especially because that particular drum kit is a painted kit, and it's like mm. you know painted with like a lacquer finish, and that gets water spots all over it. It's the same way that like a car would or something. Sure. And so we have to constantly be p- polishing the drums and making sure that all the metal hardware doesn't get rusty. And yeah. So, yeah. You know, it's, my it's drum a, tech hates me. Yeah, I was say, it's, it's a really cool <laughs> effect. And I'm sure the lighting guys love it, but I imagine the drum tech is enumerating all the steps. He probably is not. He's not thrilled. Thinking, no. couldn't we get like a hydraulic but, riser and do a Peter Chris solo instead? Well, we were thinking about glitter, but that also. Is another thing that just would be a, a nightmare to clean up. So yeah, we may try it this summer. I might throw a little glitter on the drums and see how that looks. Um, yeah. But um, we're not we're not really doing the solo over the summer. Sure. So fortunately, my drum tech doesn't have to clean up all that stuff every night. Yeah. During the summer, it's only in the winter time when we're when we're doing a lot of shows where we have mm. a, a more time. And um, but the keyboardist time, Michael, we we do a little drum and keyboard kind of mashup thing mm-hmm. it's kind of like a solo we just don't do the water trick sure. so, um, if you know. I could indulge when I first saw you live in 2013 I kept saying to myself the whole evening I know this guy from somewhere and takes me back to a time when you played with another former White Snake guitarist with Steve Vai. Um, oh, can yeah. you talk a little bit about you know as a young guitar player, two of the most landmark albums in our, in our life were this Passion of Warfare and Flexible. Um, you know how you got involved with him and and what that experience was like. Man, you know it was really serendipitous. I think it was just I just fell into. Um, association with him by accident um i had moved to the city uh, i moved to los angeles and i didn't know anybody and mm-hmm. i was kind of playing with this um i was playing with this buddy of mine that i used to play with in denver and he moved to moved out to laverne california which is kind of out by pomona and he was putting a band together and he wanted me to come out there and had a had a job for me and everything already lined up so i just decided to go out to la and we were doing this job together and this job was uh, the worst job I've ever had, but um, it was this, uh, this like trucking company and we'd have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and drive to this trucking company and clean the sides of these big trucks. Um, like they were big refrigerator trucks, you know, and they'd get dirty out on the road. And so we have to like take this brush with this corrosive soap, clean the side of the trucks, you know, like six o'clock in the morning all day. And um, to make matters worse, this this uh, truck bay that we worked in was right next door to the Farmer John's meat processing plant, so it just smelled awful all day long down in downtown L.A. And um, and to make matters worse, the band was just awful. 
they just none of the guys could really play and it was the writing was not happening and yeah so i was getting really just you know disheartened i was getting uh disillusioned about the whole move out there to to la you know and so i started looking in the paper and there was this paper that uh, musicians used to connect to each other with called the music connection out in LA and uh, so I was looking through the music connection and there was this ad in the music connection where this guy put an ad out that said um, wanted drummer for rock band familiar with odd, odd meters under the direction of Steve Vai and I was like well that looks interesting and so I called the guy and his name was Marty and I drove my drums out there to his house out in Silmar and set up these my drum kit in his garage and we started jamming and he was like doing all this stuff in 1716 and you know and hmm. 1116 all these crazy groupings of of uh really metric kind of odd time uh, patterns and stuff and i tried to keep up with it you know <coughs> it was a little advanced to me at the time because i had the, the most proggy stuff i'd ever played was probably like rush songs or right you know yeah, stuff like that and um, but I guess I did something right because he goes hey I'm going to go get my roommate and have you jam with him and he, in comes Steve Vai hmm. with his guitar and he sat down he plugged in started jamming with me and um, I couldn't believe it you know yeah, I, mean, I just thought God I've only been here for two weeks and I'm already like jamming with Steve Vai and he stopped playing he looked at me and he said you're pretty good you want to do some recording and that's how it started. Yes, sir. And um, the next day, I came out. We set up drums and put mics on them, and we started recording a song called "Viv Woman," which mm-hmm. was on yeah. Flexible. And that yeah. was the first song I ever recorded with with Steve Vai. And we got through "Viv Woman," and he liked it. And he liked the tones, and he liked the groove, and things like that. And because I got a harder song, you, let's work on that one. And the next time I went out there, we worked on the Attitude song. And the rest is and um, history there. And uh, I kind of decided right then that, you know, I was going to do something else and not play with this other band. And, you know, they were bummed out about it. But um, I moved in with Steve. He was looking for a roommate. I moved into one of the rooms and I got a job at Guitar Center. And at the time, he wasn't really as big as he is now, obviously. I mean, he had just got done playing with Frank. um, He still, I don't remember what was going on, but I guess that. He wasn't playing with Frank anymore, and so he was doing a solo record, and nobody really knew about him yet. And uh, we recorded the Attitude song and put it on this flexi disc when we still had record players. Yeah. And that was in Guitar Player magazine. It was one of those flexible discs that you right. were able to like pull out of a magazine and put on your record player and play. And it was a the little square song. thin plastic disc. Yeah, I remember yeah. those. Yeah, exactly. And um, and it got a lot of attention. Yeah, it certainly did. So, you know, he he was um, he was doing his own band, and we would go out and play around town. We played like the music. There was a place called the Music Machine. We played there, and we played at another place called uh, the Country Club, and we played at uh, oh, a bunch of different places, you know. And he put a band together with me and Tommy Mars and Stu Ham and. Um, God, I know there were some more people. Um, uh, Sue Mathis, okay. who was like this crazy singer who played keyboards. Um, and so 
that was a band called Classified. It was Steve Vine, the Classified. And we did a bunch of gigs around town, and um, he was still trying to get a deal, and I think he got a deal with... Well, he re- I think he released that record on his own label, which was Urantia Records. So hmm. he released it on his own label and got it distributed through some distributed company, and was um, not until he started recording stuff for uh, Passion and Warfare that he got a deal with Relativity. Right. Through um, through Joe Satriani, because I think Joe Satriani was like the first artist that Relativity signed. Right. And um, so that's when we started recording that. And um, and at the same time, he was kind of juggling the gig with David Lee Roth, and so he'd come off the road and we would work on it, and he'd go back out on the road, and and uh, so half of that record was recorded in his studio in Silmar in this little studio with a little with a 3M machine that had like sticky knobs and sticky buttons on it right and um and like a soundcraft board and like a little you know a little tight studio with a really really dead are you familiar with a lot of the Steve Vai stuff yeah yeah I've been quite a quite a fan of his and, and been fortunate enough to have him guest on the show a few years ago yeah he's well if you listen to the Passion of Warfare some of that record sounds a lot different from you know, the drum sound is a lot different on some songs than on others. Mm. Like if you hear uh, um, like Liberty and uh, uh, The Animal mm. and uh, uh, I Would Love To and um, Trent, uh, um, For the Love of God, all those songs were recorded. Oh, and uh, the other one was other kind of Greasy Kid stuff. Yeah. Those were all recorded in his new studio that was in the Hollywood Hills, and that was on an API board, and okay. you know, and it was Studer machine. It was the state of the art at the time, you know. Right. Great sounding room and a great sounding mics and a great sounding board and everything. And then all the other stuff like uh, neurotic nightmares, erotic nightmares, I should say. Right. And um, oh god, I can't remember the rest of it. Um, oh, uh, Blue Powder. All that was recorded at the old studio, which okay. was a tight, tight little studio, you know. But um, anyways, uh, I guess I'm kind of rambling here. Oh, I guess what fun. I should say about Steve, though, is that is that um, working with him in the studio was like going to like Navy SEAL training for recording. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was not the easiest thing for a kid fresh off the bus. Right. To experience. I mean, I had never played with a click before, and I had never been with somebody who was so particular about everything. And so, it took it took hours. And I mean, I think that we must have spent like ten hours on uh, on the um, attitude song. Now, did you do that as uh, a band, or did you do that as as individual tracks, and, and you know? play to a click and you know you individual tracks he okay. he, had re- he had already recorded the guitars and okay and everything to uh to like a drum machine and so it was all charted mm-hmm. and um i mean i got that I, I got i basically got the gig because when he played that song for me when we were just jamming that day i did i didn't break it up the same way that everybody else did that he played that song with everybody else tried to do some some bill bruford shit on it and like break it up into you know metric stuff and I just did the John Bonham thing and just played four over it right and no one had done that and he and he was like that's what I want you know I want that uh, that groove thing and so 
that was always my attitude about everything when I recorded with him is like, how can I make this feel good? How can I right. make this groove as much as possible? Yeah, some of it was impossible to you know make groove. I mean, some of it's just you know way too complex. Yeah. But anyway, so no, that's, that's that story. We're excellent. still great friends. I still go and record with him every now and then. Um, we just recently, a couple of years ago, recorded some stuff for a, a record called uh, Modern Primitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was a bunch of stuff that came out that we had re- that we had recorded years ago that was never released. Uh, Fast No People, and um, God, I got to bring it up because I can't remember the names of everything. But um, it was great fun, you know. Yeah. And Stu Ham came down and played, and I came, I came in, and uh, Tommy Mars came down and played, and got everybody back together. And we, got, we got the band back together. Exactly. <laughs> We're getting the band back together. That's a that's a fantastic, Kristen. Thank you for indulging that. Uh, I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, you again are coming on the twenty seventh of June. Um, you've got a couple yeah. stops in between. You're going to be with White Snake uh, and Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin evening. Um, and we really look forward to seeing you when you get here, man. Hey, we were really looking forward to it, and I hope that <clears throat> I hope that uh, we have a huge rock and roll crowd come out. It's a big it's a big show, and I think that everyone is going to really really enjoy it. You know, it's a, it's going to be a night to remember. So hopefully okay. we'll see you there. All right, a big thank you to Chris Frazier. Chris and uh, our next guest will be joining us on the 27th in Pittsburgh uh, to do the Foreigner show. Uh, we're joined now by Tom Gimble. Tom has been with Foreigner, I believe, of all the members currently in the band other than Mick Jones. Tom has been with them the longest. His run with Foreigner goes back to um, playing with Lou Graham, uh, during his stint as an official member of the band. Uh, Tom also uh, has played with the likes of Aerosmith uh, and, and others. So Tom has been a long uh, long road in rock and roll and a, and a wily veteran. Uh, so it's uh, with our pleasure we welcome back to the show Mr. Tom Gimble. <laughs> Pleasure to welcome back to Iron City Rocks. We have Tom Gimble from Foreigner on the line. How you doing, Tom? Hey, doing fine, John. Thanks. Hey, um, you guys are coming into town on the 27th, this coming Wednesday, into Burgettstown to do the Key Bank uh, Pavilion. Um, I know today you're at Jones Beach and you're doing a couple of shows in New Jersey and going through Ohio and then coming back to Pittsburgh. Um, got that big giant summer tour in motion. Uh, one of the things I was curious about, you know, when you guys do the, you know, the the evening with type of shows, you can do a little more, you know, deeper tracks and longer sets. Uh, do you prefer the big summer with the big energy of the stage, or do you like the, you know, more intimate, longer sets that you get to do on those kind of shows? Do you have a preference? I like I like them all. I really do. I have a good time whether it's a. a smaller venue a huge behemoth venue or acoustic uh, set we've done some acoustic shows too mm-hmm. and we play with the orchestra 
So there are all these different kind of shapes and sizes of shows, and I get a huge kick out of all of them, really. Uh, maybe because I'm always so busy changing instruments, I'm jumping around like a jackrabbit. Yeah. <laughs> it always keeps it fresh and I'm on my toes. But uh, honestly, as long as the audience is into it, it doesn't matter the size or, mm -hmm. or the venue. As long as they're digging it and rocking with us, we're having a great time. I know from seeing you guys, I saw you, I think the last time I saw you was in a, in a you know thousand seat theater, 1300 seat somewhere in that ballpark. You guys are, are really yeah. great in interacting with the audience and you can see faces and pick people out. Is, is the big sheds, is it, do you still try to, you know, maybe zero in on a handful of people when you're on stage to make eye contact to kind of make it a little more personable or is it just kind of a blur when you're in front of that mm -hmm. many people? I think we do. Uh, it, it, it always helps if you can kind of get to know people that way. Mm -hmm. Once you, once you connect with them, you feel like, Hey, it's my buddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's my friend. And that's a good feeling for everyone. Uh, so we definitely will, will try to reach out and, and connect, uh, especially Kelly, our singer. Yeah. He runs around the venue and he's high-fiving everybody and giving girls kisses and doing shots with folks. Yeah. He'll stop at nothing. Yeah, he's a <laughs> consummate showman. He really is. Uh, he wants to get people involved, and that's that's a great way to do it for starters. Do you, um, you guys recently released the, the DVD of your symphonic, uh, one of your symphonic um, performances, and I know when speaking with Chris, you know, they brought some different technical challenges. For you as, as you know, the group's flute player, the saxophonist, the guitarist, um, how is it interacting with the orchestra? Do you guys, um, you know, is it stressful for you? Um, you know, how, how do you feel about playing the saxophone in front of, you know, the orchestra quality musicians does that intimidate you at all no no i have a great time with that and they're always really complimentary because mm -hmm. i don't think orchestral players have, have heard saxophone abused mm -hmm. the way we do it yeah, <laughs> I, on a song like urgent yeah on a song like urgent you're doing things that technically can't be done with the high notes yeah. uh and these guys get a huge kick out of it this, i to playing with mick and Lou back in the orchestral shows in 2002 the big bowed bass players would just all start rocking out when they were doing urgent and yeah. they're like we might get yelled at this was in Germany they're like we might get yelled at but we don't care yeah. <laughs> so they really got a kick out of it uh, so no I feel like we're, we're all on the same page we're kind of kindred spirits uh, any horn players whether it's orchestral jazz rock mm -hmm you're automatically kind of naturally connected. And right. <laughs> we all go through the same thing with reeds and embouchures, and we're just speaking the same language sure. uh, automatically. Do you, does it help, I mean, you guys have a, you know, a pretty giant catalog to work with, but obviously the majority of, you know, the fans in seats want to hear that, you know, the classic hits. Does doing some of these shows you know, the symphonic shows, the acoustic shows, you know, we just heard the announcement earlier this week about the Sturges, you know, full-on reunion of the original band, you know, as a, as a special event. Do, do, do those yeah. help keep keep it kind of interesting for you that it's not just the same, you know, we're going to play the same 14 songs for the next nine months when you're on the road? You know, Mick really does, you know, vary it up quite a bit. Hmm. I think I, I'm happy either way. Mm -hmm. I would be very happy to play the same 14 songs for the next nine years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Those songs are so good right. and so much fun to play 
I'm serious, John. Like, just I could pick up a guitar now and start playing Double Vision. I'd be yeah. having a great time. It's yeah. that cool of a song. Yeah. And it's, and every song kind of fits into that category. I, if I jumped on a piano and started playing Waiting for a Girl Like You, mm-hmm. it, it would be a ton of fun. It's the, mm-hmm. These songs are just so well-crafted, I think, that uh, I will never get tired of playing them. Right. And uh, when when there's uh, going to be changes and, and little adjustments, we look at it like a challenge. It's fun. It's uplifting. Mm-hmm. Always great when Lou Graham comes back. Uh, and especially to see him share the stage with Kelly the way they have a mutual admiration for each other. Right. That's just tremendous. That just shows you uh, what kind of people we're dealing with here. Mick and Lou, both just the classiest guys you ever want to know. Yeah. So uh, they really fit together in, the, in that way. And, and the way Kelly is, is just so gracious and, and Lou is so gracious towards Kelly. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's tremendous. Uh, and so we look forward to those kind of things. And yeah. it's, the best part really is seeing Mick reunited with his old buddies. He gets right. that swagger and they all start telling stories and he's like a kid again. That's, that's really my favorite part of when they have these, uh, reunion shows. Yeah. And it's, it's really nice to see. I mean, this is almost unheard of in, I can't think of any other band in rock, you know, so many bands part with the original singer it's it's a legal mess it's hurtful and you know i mean you guys are you're touring with you know a, a band and, and you know you guys have been together as a unit for quite a while as as you are right now you know you're bringing in original members you've Big got time. you know jason who is your former drummer is one of your support acts <laughs> for the night um you know oh, it, yeah. it's, it's a big you know it's it's almost family. like a big touring family yeah. you know it's really it neat really to is. see that um you know, and it's it's really nice. Now, you know, looking at it, I mean, you've got to be getting up there as being close to the second most tenured guy in the band. And I, I may be wrong, and I was trying to do the math with you yeah. and Lou, but I mean, you've been there really mm, as long 25. as anybody else. I mean, it, did, yeah. did Mick get yeah. you a watch it's, it's, when you hit twenty five years? <laughs> he did give me a little shopping spree. He gave me some gift certificates to shop for the for the band store. Or did you get to go somewhere else? Oh, definitely. I got to go Brooks Brothers anywhere I want to go. It's really nice. Uh, but no, it just happened automatically, slowly over time, mm-hmm. evolutionary. I guess <laughs> it's mm-hmm. been that long. But the strangest thing is to go from being the new kid. I was yeah. like the new guy in '92. Yeah. And now I'm like the uh, the grizzled veteran, and you just you know how fast time goes. You wake up one day and you say, yeah. "How did that happen? What what? Where? How did we get here?" I was I was the new fresh faced young young buck, right. yeah. <laughs> and now I'm the grizzled veteran. I like being the grizzled veteran, yeah. but it just happens so quickly. Yeah, it does. Uh, Very it's... grateful. It, it's uh, it's amazing how the passage of time, but I mean the the, the great thing is the songs still resonate. You know, as I, I, I was That's speaking phenomenal. to to Bruce earlier this year, it almost seems the, the, you know the foreigner band is continuing on an upward trajectory. You know, I mean the, the music seems. Yeah. To, you know, it's it's amazing to see this many years later. And yes, to, a lot of that's because the younger generations uh, appreciate it. It mm-hmm. still resonates with them, and that's got to be the key of course as it's rejuvenating uh, throughout the generations we have young kids coming to the show yeah little guys up on their parents shoulders shaking their fists that know the words and uh it's pretty special 
Well, that's awesome. Well, well, I don't want to keep you any longer than I need to, Tom. I want to thank you so much. Uh, you've got a big show tonight in Jones Beach, so I don't want to send you underway, but we oh, will thanks. look forward to see you on Wednesday, Absolute man. Pleasure. Sounds good, JK. All right, that about wraps it up again. Uh, Foreigner with uh, Mr. Tom Gimble and Chris Frazier, uh, and also Jeff Pilson, uh, formerly of Dawkins and currently, I guess, sort of with Dawkins, depending on which shows they're doing and which carnation of the band. Uh, we'll be there, and, and uh, Mick Jones, uh, Bruce Watson, who was on the podcast back in March, if you want to look that up, and Kelly Hansen, a man who, um, if you've ever seen perform live, um, it, or maybe you have questions about you know, Foreigner without Lou Graham, uh, give Kelly Hansen a listen. He's an amazing vocalist, an amazing showman, uh, and really, I think, a spark plug that has kept Foreigner really on an upward trend over the last couple 10 years or so. He's just an amazing musician. Also on the bill that night, Whitesnake, David Coverdale and company uh, with Pittsburgh's own Red Beach will be on the uh, on the docket that night. Tommy Aldrich, the uh, drummer from the 87 kind of classic tour, uh, is with the band as well, so it's going to be a great night there. And then uh, last but not, or I should say first, but certainly not least, is Jason Bonham, uh, Led Zeppelin Evening. Uh, so you're going to get really, I don't know how many hours total, three hours plus of just pure hit after hit after hit uh, with that night. So again, June 27th, Burgettstown, a Key Bank Pavilion. Tickets still available. Uh, so we urge you to get out there and, and see some live music. Until next time, we want to thank you so much for listening. Um, as always, our goal is to help uh, promote some of these events in Pittsburgh, get people interested in seeing live music. So these type of tours uh can come to Pittsburgh and local musicians can flourish in Pittsburgh. Um, if you are in a band, national, local, uh, and are interested in the show, uh, get in touch with us, ironcityrocks at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from everyone. Uh, send us your press kit, send us your music. We'd like to take a listen to it. Also, you can check us out at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube are all forward slash Iron City Rocks. And until next time, we want to thank you so much for listening.